Hey, y'all. I am Sam Sanders. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. My guest today is here to talk about her new memoir, but she is most known for something you could see as a failure. Her sitcom, which made history when it launched, it was canceled after only one season. I'm talking about comedian Cristela Alonzo. She launched a sitcom on ABC in 2014 called Cristela, and it was the first network sitcom created by a Latina. It was a very big deal, but the show did not last. In this chat, Cristela tells me about that experience and what she thinks needs to change to make the industry better for people like her. We also, as I mentioned, discuss her new memoir. It's called Music to My Ears, a mixtape memoir of growing up and standing up. Every chapter of this book is named after a song that means a lot to Cristela, including a chapter all about the Golden Girls theme song. There's a fun story behind that one. She'll tell it. Let's get to it. Cristela was in New York. I was in L.A. Enjoy. Can she hear me now? Yes, hello. Oh, hey. Hi, how are, <laughs> how are you? you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. It's really nice to talk to you. Yes, it's great to talk to you. Yes, I also love that we're both from Texas. Mm. What part? Born and raised San Antonio. Oh, oh that's uh, yeah. like my town, man. Right? Like, you know... For me, growing up in McAllen, Texas, down south, like yeah. going to San Antonio was a big deal. Like for me, that oh, was yeah. the big city. Because you, you know? would go to River Center Mall. Yes. You do. <laughs> and like, you would I, walk yeah. the Riverwalk. Last, I, I recorded my Netflix special there, and I remember I took my family. Mm-hmm. We all decided to go to the Alamo yeah. and just take the obligatory Alamo picture. Mm-hmm. And um, we started our walk by saying, you know, like, remember the Alamo. <laughs> and then we stopped this Walgreens to buy some. Uh, I like, know that Walgreens yeah, down the street yeah, from the Alamo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, we stopped at that Walgreens so that I could get some of that spicy Mexican candy that they sell there. They like the sell it there. Yeah, you know. So like, I got the candy, and then we were leaving, and my brother forgot where we were going, and I'm like, <laughs> dude, like literally, it says remember the Alamo. Like you literally, literally forgot. Like you forgot the Alamo. <laughs> you had one job. I know the one job of this building is to not forget it, and yes, you forgot yes. it. Yes, but the thing about the Alamo, when I, like whenever folks are going there and they're like, "What should I do?" I was like, "Go to the Alamo, but know that it's going to be very underwhelming because it's very small." Yes, and also we lost. Yes, yes, like yes. Texas lost the Alamo. My mom, I remember, I, uh, my mom went to the Alamo one time when I was in eighth grade. We decided to take a day trip, mm-hmm. and she got there she looked around and she was like wait like this looks like one of the houses in my village like (laughs) you know she's like people don't want to visit my village but they want to visit here like it's so ridiculous yeah yeah so where in mexico is she from was she from my mom was from this um little rancho called el sancarron which is um it's about, I want to say, maybe a six-hour drive, a trip into, okay. like, southern Mexico. Okay. It was El San Carron in San Luis Potosí, if I'm not mistaken. And I actually spent a lot of time as a child there. Um, you know, it was out in the middle of nowhere. We used to oh. take buses down there to oh, the wow. point where it's like you would take a, a bus from McAllen to Reynosa, the Mexican sister city. Yeah. Yeah. And then you would change fl- uh, buses there. Then you'd fl- go Mc- um Reynosa to Monterrey, and uh-huh. then after Monterrey, you'd get on another bus. Oh, my God. They, I, I mean, it would take—I <laughs> think it would take about two days to get down there. Stop. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, man. Did you like it down there? I loved it. Look, I loved it. it okay. To have that kind of experience, not yeah. everybody gets to have it, you know? Oh, like, yeah. I, it makes me appreciate— 
I like my family grew up in extreme poverty, mm-hmm. yet compared to my mom's village, we it's were so than that. <laughs> yeah, we were so wealthy compared to that. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I love it. So this book that you're putting out into the world this month. It's all about your life, you know, growing up the daughter of a Mexican mother who wanted to give you a better life in Texas. What's the book called? Music to My Years. To my it's a mixtape memoir. Yeah. yeah. So explain how that works because every chapter is also a song? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's basically, it's a mixtape of my life. And I did it because, you know, I always, I, I tell people like, you know, it's a spoiler alert, but I'm like Latina. You know what I mean? And the thing is, is that I feel like a lot of times when uh, people see you, they usually see your culture before they see you as a person. Uh. They see what you are. And a lot of times they make assumptions based on what they know of the culture. And I didn't want to do a book that was necessarily, I didn't want to be pigeonholed as this Mexican story of this Mexican girl being Mexican in America. Like, it wasn't yeah, that, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I started thinking, what is that one thing that put us all in a level playing field? And I started thinking about music because I uh-huh. love music. Yeah. And people are always surprised when I tell them some of the music I like. Oh, yeah. There's like Boston in this yes. book, Backstreet Boys, yeah. along with like Selena. Like, you have a wide range. Right. And then, but then there's also a tribe called Quest. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's yeah. like, it's that thing where. You know, people like to guess what music preference you have. And then when you say something that throws them off, they're like, now well, they're what? intrigued. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. for me, I started thinking, I love music so much. I listen mm-hmm. to hours of it. I, I, like, I love going to concerts, shows, everything. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, this is a good way of formatting the book where I can tell my story. Yeah. And, and talk about the songs because we all have those songs that – they they remind us of things and totally. it can be joyful it can be sadness but the thing is of yeah and they have but a story. you feel something yes yes so i wrote my whole life out as a playlist so each chapter is one of my favorite songs mm-hmm. of all time yes. i break down why I t- why i like that song i talk about whoever the artist is yeah. and then i tell a story about why that song existed in my life. Yeah. You know, reading your book reminded me of an interview I had uh, with another comedian and actor, Jimmy O. Yang. Oh, yeah. And he moved to the U.S. from Hong Kong when he was a kid. And I saw some parallels uh, with his love of music and yours. So he basically taught himself English by watching Mm -hmm. BET Rap City. Yeah. (laughs) But he was also a kid like you, an immigrant kid who was obsessed with consuming American popular culture, TV, music, et cetera, because that's how you learned the culture. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's, you know, like for me, it's like I was born in Texas, Mm -hmm. but we spoke Spanish at home. Yeah. So it was this thing where, you know, I always say it. I grew up in a very Mexican household because yeah. my family was from Mexico. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it, I was technically born in the United States, but I didn't know what that was. Exactly. You know, so for me, I learned English by watching TV shows. In my family, I don't have much of an accent compared to, you know, like my siblings at certain points at yeah. certain, with certain words. Yeah. But I, I learned to imitate dialects and voices of people I watched on TV. Uh, who was your favorite imitation? You know, I used to watch The Bold and the Beautiful. 
Okay. And I, babe, you know, we all got to feel things. <laughs> yes, all, yes, we do. We got to feel things, but on a, we're on a time crunch. It's a half-hour soap opera. Like, yeah. we got stuff to do with our lives. <laughs> but I used to act out, the character was named Ridge, uh-huh. and Ridge had sideburns and a cleft uh-huh. in his chin, uh-huh. and he was very, like, he had this voice that was just so dramatic, and he was just... Every time he said something was the most important thing. And I remember as a kid, I, I would grab my mom's black uh, Maybelline eyeliner. Stop. And draw on some, like, sideburns and a little <laughs> cleft in my chin and then make the voice up. But I would translate the episode from English to Spanish for my mom so my wow. mom knew what was happening. Wow. So that was always one of my favorite memories. That was one of the, my best, I think, impressions because I would act out both characters in the conversation that I was doing. So you would also, like, translate the news for your mom. Y'all be yes. watching the nightly news, and you would be like, Tom Brokaw said this. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, you see, yeah, because you it, it really is like you're working as a translator. Mm. So you have to listen, and between the breaks, you have mm-hmm. to translate what is happening and then pay attention in English to translate it into Spanish. Oh, my goodness. So, it, you know, it's kind of like um, before TV shows and movies would come in SAP, in Spanish, you know, available programming, mm-hmm. you have to tell everybody. And... The thing is, is that I, I always thought everybody did that for their really? parents, you know. So yeah. because your life is your life, and you think uh-huh. that everyone's living your life. You know? Exactly. As a kid, you—that's what you think, you know. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized um, I had been taught to maintain a household since I was a kid. I translated the news. I translated the shows. I translated government paperwork. I translated, you know, the debt would, collector. Or yes, something, you know, I would have exactly. I would have to buy money orders to go pay the bills, like as a child. Yeah, you know, so well, it's a lot. Exactly. When, when did you realize the burden of that? Because I'm guessing for a long time in your youth, you were just like, "This is the way it was." Was there a moment when you said, "Oh, it shouldn't be this hard for a kid"? It was when I realized that I could never hang out with my friends. Mm. I was a child and Mm. I was at school and everybody was having like birthday parties and, you know, like slumber parties. Mm -hmm. They'd hang out. And I was never allowed to because I always had business to take care of at home. Wow. And, you know, so it was this thing when I realized that my childhood wasn't much of a childhood. My mom, you know, we didn't live in the best neighborhood. Uh-huh. My mom was very protective, so she never wanted me to leave. Uh-huh. So, you know, leave my house. So, you know, I was raised as a a lonely child that had mm. to stay in their house. That's why I, I'm obsessed with pop culture. Yeah, because you know? so that was your friend. It, it, music and TV are my best friends. And it was that thing where, I mean, for me, that's why I get very offended when people intentionally make bad TV, film, music, you know, it's like, cause it's like you're insulting my best friend, yeah, you know, it's like, have yeah. some respect, put some respect on it, you know? Yes, yes. All right, time for a break. When we come back, Christella tells me how her family lived in an actual diner when she was a kid. BRB. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rothy's. Rothy's are the stylish, comfortable, and sustainable flats seamlessly crafted from repurposed plastic bottles, available in a range of colors, patterns, and styles like flats, loafers, and sneakers. Fully machine washable and no break-in period. Discover why BuzzFeed called them their forever shoes. Rothy's always offers free shipping and free returns and exchanges. Go to rothys.com minute to find out more. 
Pierre's life kit is that friend who always has great advice about everything from how to invest to how to get a great workout. We bring you tools to help you get it together. New episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Listen and subscribe to Life Kit All Guides. One of my favorite chapters of the book is one that perfectly melds both music and TV, <laughs> as well as popular culture. I'm talking about the Golden Girls yes. chapter. You So one of the chapters built around a song is a chapter built around the theme song to the yeah. classic TV show Golden Girls. <laughs> well, you know, I loved, I loved the Golden Girls because to me they were the first time I saw a family that was real. Uh, you know, they yeah. were a family made of friends. Yeah. And which I are often to... the best families. Yeah, exactly, because you choose them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that thing where they were friends, they got along, but they were allowed to hate each other and fight, mm-hmm. you know, and it was okay to insult each other because mm-hmm. they knew they were doing it out of love. Yeah. You know, and it's also interesting how I wrote about it in the book. It's this idea that Sophia Petrillo, that is a perfect tribute to immigrant mothers. Uh. I mean, you know, to me, Sophia and Dorothy had a relationship that was similar to my mom and I, where my, you know, she was, Sophia came from Italy. Her kids had a better opportunity at life than she did. But notice that in the Golden Girls, Sophia Petrillo is also allowed to be a person. Yeah. We don't get to talk about, there is no storylines where she gets deported Mm-hmm. Or where we have the fear of immigration. Mm-hmm. She was a she was an immigrant that was allowed to be a person. Yeah. And I always have this feeling that it's because she was white. Uh. We could see her as a person. Uh-huh. But if you saw, you know, Latinos, you know, be in that the, same space. You know, exactly. It'd be different. It'd be different because we're still a novel idea, even though we've been people forever. For me, when I see the Golden Girls, that is actually that is the way that I think an immigrant story should be told. Yeah, and just that is plainly with and clearly. Freedom. Exactly. exactly. It's like the liberty to be anything you want and say it however you want. Yeah, like don't you don't always have to have the public service announcement before the plot starts. Yes, I keep telling everybody <laughs> like like we can go bowl. Like if we yes. wanted to go bowl, the characters can go bowl. I yeah. don't want to necessarily have a moment in the show where I have to be like. My mom came from her village so that I could bowl in this country. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back to the Golden Girls chapter in this in, in this lovely chapter built around this song. There is a story about the song and you when yes. you were a young school student. Yes. And how this song lands you in the principal's office. Please tell this funny story. So um, I have always loved the theme song. I I take it to heart. When I was a kid, I took yeah. it to heart. It really meant, like, I really would tell everybody, I would tell people at school, thank you for being a friend. Oh. So I had the song stuck in my head, and I couldn't, I was so bored at school. I was mm. a big nerd in school. Okay. I loved being a nerd. I, yeah. I finished my schoolwork all the time. I was ready. So fifth grade, um, I was the person that would buy school supplies in the summer because I was so excited to go back to school. I was that person. And fifth grade year, I had an aqua plastic briefcase. Love it. And that was my school box. And it was like, I took it to school like I was going to corporate America, but it was public school. (laughs) And I... I was so obsessed with Lego, and I still am, that I made a pencil cup of Legos. And and I I put it out in my... Like, I set up my desk. Uh And... 
I started singing the song. I, I started like I was humming it. And then it kind of grew, and then I kept repeating it, and then I kept singing it over and over again. And the girl who I didn't know, I had never met her before. She was a new student. Mm-hmm. She had um, she got annoyed, and she started taking away my school supplies from my desk into her desk she to can't threaten do me, that? like right to my face. She's doing this. Ooh. Like, how dare you? How dare? Right. And um, she was getting very angry, and she told me that she wanted me to stop. And I wouldn't stop. I couldn't mm-hmm. stop. I, I couldn't. I, I was that song so, is an earworm. Like, yeah. I, I, bad earworm. Like, I couldn't <laughs> stop. Yeah. And then finally, you know she took my Lego cup holder uh-uh. and, like, put it on her desk. And I'm uh-uh. like, I know you just didn't do that. Like, I know you didn't do that. Yeah. Like, on purpose you did that? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. Exactly. So, so what did I you got do? so mad, I got a pair of scissors, and I cut her hair. She, was, <laughs> she had her hair in a ponytail, and I cut her hair. And I was just like... <laughs> Like, Let I me just snapped. say, Christella, real quick, two wrongs don't make a right. I know, I know. It, it's like it's like an episode of Snapped where women just lose it and go crazy. <laughs> like I was like a kid version of Snapped. I'm like, oh I did goodness. not, like I did not just have this happen. I got a like I got scissors. I cut her hair, and she went up to the teacher, and I was like this big nerd. People didn't like they're, they're like Christella's in trouble. Yeah. They sent me to the principal's office. I mm-hmm. had to admit to what I did, mm-hmm. and it turns out that the girl I, whose hair I cut was the principal's daughter. Stop. So like it was like this thing where like they made me like apologize but like I really wasn't sorry cuz I'm like no 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 you took yeah. my school supplies from my like thank you yeah. not, you do not get thanked for being a friend. Like I like I, like, I remember that. Like oh ooh. you do not get thanked for being a friend. <laughs> Another thing that you spell out in detail in this book um is the extent to your family's poverty. Like, mm. y'all weren't just broke. Y'all were poor. Yeah. To the yeah. extent that y'all lived in an abandoned diner for, like, eight years? Yeah, like seven, eight years. The Girl, first seven, eight how years How do of my you life. do that? You know, again— how, Well, one, how'd you find it? Well, you know, so my mom and my dad split up right before I was born. My mom, my mom was the first woman in her family to leave a bad marriage. Uh. We grew up Catholic. Uh. So it was that thing where, like, once you're married, you're married. You're married. And my dad was not a good guy. She left him, Mm. took the kids, and had nowhere to go. Second grade education, Uh. you know, like nothing. She found this diner, (laughs) and she made it our home. She was like, ain't nobody in there. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. She's like, look, we will stay here until they shoo us away. You know what I mean? And we just stayed there. Mm-hmm. We had a bathroom outside. We didn't wow. have electricity. My neighbors, um, we had like a, a family that lived next door to the diner that knew we were there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would they would lend us electricity. Like we'd have an orange wow. Extension cord. Wait, led... the orange extension cord yes. going from the diners at your yes. neighbor's house? Yes, wow. yes, yeah. And my mom would pay them, you know, like, X amount, like a flat rate, maybe 20 bucks a month wow. or something for the electricity. Wow. My mom used to cook our food on uh-huh. a space heater, an old school space heater. What? That she would face up with the heat pointing up. She would put a pan over it. You're lucky y'all didn't burn food. that diner down. Dude, I mean, at that point, though, like we were just so happy that we survived. You know what yeah. I mean? I know. That we, that's how I grew up. You mm. know, during the winter, we would, my mom would bring home this plastic pickle tub we'd warm up water in there and we would stand inside a wash tub and we would get a a cup of water and pour the water over ourselves and that's how we bathed wow and it was this thing where um i thought everybody lived like that Uh. 
You know, and it was this weird thing where my brothers and I, when we talk, we always talk about how that time was like the best time of our lives because we really loved each other. We're very close. Mm. And I remember moments of laughter and sheer joy. Yeah. It was like out of poverty, we realized that we only had each other. Uh. And also, mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for the way that I grew up because having grown up being so poor, it made me so fearless. Oh, yeah. And nothing will be that hard again. Exactly. So, <laughs> like, like, for me, I'm like, if none of this works, what's the worst that can happen? I go back to being poor. Like, I, yeah. I come from that. Yeah. I am that. You know? Yeah. It's like I, and, and not only that, but I have pride in coming from that. Yeah. When did you realize that you wanted to do comedy? Because as a kid, you really got into theater. Yes. I actually, I ended up uh, working at a comedy club in Dallas, Texas. Okay. It was the Addison Improv. Okay. And, um, and what took you there? Well, so I had been wanting to perform since I knew it was a thing. I always want, my goal was to be on Broadway. Yeah. And then when I was 18 or 19, a teacher told me that as a Latina, I could be in West Side Story and Chorus Line, and that was it. Wow. That's why I'm so in love and obsessed with Hamilton. Yeah, because it's everybody. Yeah, it's like anyone can do it. Mm -hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote, like showed that anyone can do it. Yeah. You know, but back then I was very limited and I had done West Side Story and I did Chorus Line. And then I thought, I, I guess I'm done. Uh. Here's the thing, though. My mm-hmm. family, my dream was so strange to them, so in a way luxurious mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. They couldn't understand because we're practical people. Mm-hmm. So anytime that my family needed help, I was the one expected to stop their life, mm. to go take care of yeah. the situation because – my dream wasn't a real dream. Uh-huh. My my aspiration was such a long shot that it didn't really count. So uh-huh. my mom ended up getting sick, and I was living in LA trying to make it. Uh-huh. And I uh, moved. Uh, I went back to Texas to see her. I got a call that she was on her deathbed. Wow. So I went to see her, uh, and she didn't die. Wow. And then she asked me to stay with her and take care of her. Uh-huh. And I mean, how do you say no to that? Yeah, you, you know. say yes. So I stayed and I took care of her and I took care of her until she passed away. And after that, I come from poor people. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know how to handle grief. Yeah. I didn't know how to handle like, you know. Or even uh, pay for the funeral. Hell. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, so yeah. it's, it's all these things you didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I was really sad. I ended up getting a DUI because I was oh, wow. drinking so much because I... Yeah, I didn't know what grief. to do. That's yeah. how I was dealing with it. Yeah, And I got the DUI, and I ended up having to stay in Texas for two years for probation. Oh. So well, because before was, your mother got really sick, you were going to, what, Webster University up in, was it Missouri? It was St. Louis. And, well, you know, I only went there for like a year. Then I had to drop out of there so that I could um, – Take, help my sister take care of her kids, raise her oh, kids. Oh, and then, then after I, that, your mother got sick. Yeah, so it was like a big, you know, life kept getting in the way. Mm-hmm. That's how I keep saying it. Life mm-hmm. kept getting in the way. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, it was this thing where after my mom passed, I didn't know what to do. And you're stuck in Texas. Yeah, and I'm stuck in Texas. And okay. I needed a job. Okay. And I responded to this Help Wanted ad that I saw. When I showed up to the location, it was a comedy club. Huh. And I applied and I lied and said that I could do all these things that I couldn't do. <laughs> and I got the job. And I loved stand-up comedy, but at, at that point, I didn't know it was a job. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it wasn't until I started working there, I was the office manager. It huh. wasn't until I started working there that I realized that people could make a living at it. Yeah. Wanda Sykes, 
shows up to the Addison Improv. Okay. And it's Wanda Sykes. And she has an opener, uh, her friend, Keith Robinson. And we're both. Oh, uh, yeah. And we're That's all a talking. good set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're all talking. And Keith Robinson looked at me. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I'm like, oh, the stand-up isn't like my thing. I haven't thought about it. He looks at me and he's like, you're going to end up doing stand-up. Wow. He's like, you're going to end up doing stand-up. And, yeah. like, and it really, I started doing it soon after they left. And uh. actually, and, and Wanda is a friend of mine. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's yeah. like full circle, obviously. Yeah. You know? So it was this thing where I didn't know that I wanted to do it. Until it's someone funny. said you could do yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's uh, that I and that I could do it. Yeah. That's what this is what I think is interesting. Like mm-hmm. Whoopi Goldberg and Wanda Sykes, they were two of the people that gave me blurbs for my book. Oh. And it was I I can't tell you how much it meant to me because for me we see this we see this a lot on social media where people talk about how like black women really like they hold the doors open for all of us. Yeah, and all you know, for me, yeah, that's that's what they they both did for me, and they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. They chose to do that, mm-hmm. and for me, like Whoopi and Wanda, as women of color, mm-hmm. that means so much for me coming yeah. from them because uh, yeah. you know it's just that thing where you realize. You know, it's really not about culture because we actually we have so much in common exactly. if we if we just take the time to notice it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. All right, time for a break. When we come back, more with Cristela Alonzo. She spills the tea about her ABC show that got canceled. BRB. Support for NPR comes from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. What are the things that make us human? Why are we the way we are? I'm Guy Raz. Each week on NPR's TED Radio Hour, we dive into the incredible forces that shape our very existence. Listen now. I want to flash forward uh, in your career and your life to you uh, making history when you get your own network sitcom named yes. after you. I know. Who knew? Yeah. Christella. Christella. So what year was that? The show went on air 2014. That's the year it got picked up. 2014 on ABC. Yes. And this was history making because it was the first time that there was an American network sitcom led by a Latino woman, right? Yes. Because a lot of times there had been Latina-led vehicles, but not that was, you know, created by them. Oh, so this was made by you, starring you, named after you. I wrote it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, what's funny is that I didn't even, I didn't want the show named after me. Really? I always thought that, um, that it was a collaborative effort. No, nah, girl, you put because, your name on that. <laughs> I know, I know, I, I know. And so for me, I, I didn't, I felt so paranoid. I felt so self-conscious getting it called Christella. But I was like, but but you're, you don't really have a choice. Like, yeah. they'll start telling you, no, the name of the show is Christella. And it's yeah. like, oh, okay, never yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah. So there has been much written about the show. You've talked about it before. But long story short, you make this new American multi-camera sitcom. You are the lead <clears throat> and mm-hmm. you are... A uh, Latina woman who comes from uh, from a poor family and is making her way through law school yes. while living with her family. Hilarity ensues. Yes. Okay. So you you make this show. There's high hopes for it. 
people forget, the same year that you launched Christella, they mm-hmm. also launched Jane the Virgin. Yes. Fast forward the show, what, it just makes it one season? Yeah, we did 22 episodes. Okay. Um, and the aftermath of that was a big deal. I mean, people were like, this was supposed to be a sea change in the TV landscape. Da, da, yes. da, da. You talked about being angry it was canceled. Like, how surprised were you when they pulled the plug? I, at that point, was not surprised. Okay. It, you know, actually, looking, you know, I like to talk about it because I have. I have so much inside information that the majority of people, the public, doesn't get mm. to see mm-hmm. that I think it's important to share the story so that people can learn from it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, people knew I spoke Spanish. Yeah. The moment they knew I spoke Spanish, all the marketing that they wanted me to do, like all the interviews, they wanted me to do more Spanish than English. And, and, and you know, it was this thing where I was trying to explain to them, but my show is in English. Yes. So why do I have to speak? To speak to them in Spanish. Yeah. Like, that's a little condescending to assume that we can only talk to them in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that like uh, like Jane the Virgin, Gina Rodriguez can't speak Spanish. Oh, uh, So she that. did, you know, so she did her interviews in English. Uh, yeah. And it, see, like she got she got some heat from people for when not Jane be... the Virgin came out for not speaking uh, Spanish. And for me, I'm like, wait a minute. So why is it that <laughs> she's not Latina enough? Like yes. to some in some people's eyes, we're both very Latina. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like we we both don't have to be identical. Yeah. Don't, I don't have to be a walking enchilada. She <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like we could yeah. all find the middle ground. Yeah. So you know, um, I had to do a lot of my press in Spanish. Really. Uh, I found myself really fighting against things that I never thought I was going to fight over. Uh. Um, I never got a billboard. What? You know, like there was no billboards for my show because Uh. I think that a lot of people assume that the Latinos would find me. There is no, there. this is the thing. It's like people assume that like, all the blacks or all the browns have these like yes. secret underground like phone trees. No, yes. we don't. Yes, exactly. We, we, we don't. And, and, you know, and, and let me tell you, like growing up, I give so much thanks and appreciation to the black community and TV, film, music. I felt so represented by mm. them mm. because I didn't have that representation from my culture that yeah. was as relevant as yeah. that. Like growing up. If I could tell you how a different world changed my life. Come on. You know Come what I mean? On. It's like yeah. that thing where like. It was eye opening. Like, yeah. Like it, it taught you things. But, you know, it seemed familiar to me because we didn't have the exact same issues. But I know that there were the issues parallels. that I could understand. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so if that show had been marketed the way that my show had been marketed then I would have never felt like I was even welcomed by the network to watch exactly. A Different World. Because A Different you know, World, it, it was a very black show, but it was for everyone to watch in the same way that yes. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was for Absolutely. everyone to watch. Or Moesha Absolutely. was for everyone to watch. Yes, Martin. Yeah, Come I could on. watch Martin. I mean, you know yes. what I mean? So, so it was this thing where I couldn't understand mm-hmm. why we were so close-minded when it came to marketing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, well, and then I was reading, they would... So it was what? Was it Thursday nights or Friday nights? Friday nights. Many Friday nights, they would take you off to just run some other programming? Yes. Like what? Yeah. Uh, it depends. Like what? one time they didn't show uh, our Christmas episode ending the year because um, certain markets had to show their Christmas parades 
Oh my goodness. You know what I mean? Like you know, so, wow. Like that kind of stuff. But you know? you've already filmed this Christmas episode. Yeah. But oh, they were like, no, but like we need to see the mayor of this town on this chair oh, like car waving to people. So, when, so yeah. you know. When you see all those things happen, not having the billboards, being forced to do Spanish language press for an English language show, having your show pulled off for like a Christmas parade with a local mayor, when you saw those things happen, were you saying to yourself it's it's just unfortunate, or are you saying this is happening to me because I'm a Latina woman? I kept saying this is happening to me because they don't know how to deal mm. with me as a Latina woman. As a, you know, just with me specifically. Uh. I mean, you know, because I had so many questions, and yeah, maybe it was a Latina woman thing. You know, I never. It's not like I sa- said that out loud ever, uh. but maybe it was that. I mean, for me. I had a couple problems. Okay. Now, you know, I co-created the show with this guy. Uh And um, we had some writers in the room. The relationship between the co-creator and I did not end well. Okay. Who was the co-creator? His name was Kevin Hench. Okay. And um, started out very positive. Mm -hmm. Then we got another writer Mm -hmm. that was uh, half Latino, half Irish, I think, Uh. if I'm not mistaken. Uh Uh-huh. Um, they started becoming friends. And then I noticed that Kevin would go to this other guy. They would ice you out on your own show? Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) So on the Cristela show, I was maybe third or fourth. Wow. In everything. The show I got because of my Mm stand-up. But my stories weren't worthy enough for people to write episodes about them. Uh Now, I was in the room, too. Uh. So, see, people used to wonder, you know, for me, the show was about my life. Yeah. So I wanted to explore things that maybe were a little more niche or specific to me, Mm -hmm. you know, but a lot of times they didn't want to do that. Halfway through the season, towards the end, you know, Uh around Christmas time or so, I wasn't feeling good about it. I felt really stifled. I felt like people just didn't want to listen to me. Uh. And I remember... And I always say this, when you're one of the first, if not the first, mm-hmm. to do something, mm-hmm. um, you're building the house while you're designing the blueprints as well. Oof. And that's hard. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's a big job. Yeah. I knew mm-hmm. my show wasn't going to have a chance in chunks when I saw the lack of marketing, when I saw how they wanted me to market in mm-hmm. Spanish, mm-hmm. the erasure that I was getting from people on my show, mm. you know? Mm. And I realized, I told my friend Steve in the middle of shooting, I told him, um, my show mm-hmm. won't make it. Wow. But I hope that it opens the door for the next one that will. So you knew before it was canceled? Yeah. Do you think so? Okay, you launched Cristela on ABC in 2014, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you think the landscape is better for a woman like you on network television and for a show like Cristela on network television now than it was then? No. Mm. I can tell you that I think we're getting a little bit, I think we have more visibility now okay. than we did back then. Okay. But. As long as we have the tastemakers, the gatekeepers, 
uh, as long as we don't have the representation in those rooms, we'll never make true change. Mm. We'll see change in the number of people you see, which I think is great and should be celebrated. But you also still have to fight with them to tell your version of stories mm-hmm. in life, mm-hmm. you know, because they all have their thoughts yeah. to how it should be told. And I think we're actually at the right place at the right time right now where um, yeah. people are more adamant to tell stories about, you know, the Latino community, but it's still involving a lot of storylines about like immigration and DACA and everything. And mm-hmm. while the stories are absolutely necessary and vital, mm-hmm. we also need to uh, fill them out with more um, with stories with different perspectives. Exactly. You know, and and again, we won't get there until we get people like me in the positions to actually make those choices and allow people yeah. to to have and their voice heard. Exactly, absolutely. I think about kids that are maybe growing up the way that I did uh-huh. that don't feel like they, they're represented or mm-hmm. they don't, you know, they're living in the middle of nowhere. They don't have access to certain things or what have you. I think about them and I want to make sure that what I show to them mm-hmm. is something that might give them the same feeling that I had when I was watching the shows like The Golden Girls. Yeah, yeah. When I can have those feelings and and have them understand, I do this because God, I really love to do this. Yeah. Not because I want to, not because I want to get to syndication and make a lot of money. It's because you really believe in the idea. It's because and the story. I really yeah. believe in it. Because when the stories are good and they're honest. Mm-hmm. That again, that's how you make change. Yeah, I love it. Well, I'm already thinking ahead for you, and I'm like, you know what I want Chrisella to do? (laughs) I want to write. I want you to write the sitcom based on your mother, your mother as this Mexican Sophia from the Golden Girls. Ooh, that's a good one. And she's the lead. That well, I you know, the whole goal of Cristela was actually an homage to my mom. Yeah. You know, and it, I wasn't allowed to take her and do things with her that I wanted to do. But mm-hmm. for me, I have, I really always considered myself secondary to the mother character. I love it. You know, because yeah. you kind of you wouldn't exist without this but woman. Well, so let's exactly. so like like let's, let's lean into dive it. into it and yeah. see why she's so special. Yeah. I bet your mother is very very proud of you and looking down on you and saying you did good, kid. Well, you know, I hope so because I think about her and I just. I always say to myself, I'm, I hope I'm continuing the journey that you started, and hopefully I'll continue it until the day I die. Yeah. Yeah. She can only be proud, I'm sure. I'm thank sure. Ah, oh, Christella, thank you so much. It is so amazing to talk to a fellow Texan and a funny Texan at that. Hey, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> and guess what? Thank you for being a friend. Hey, now. <laughs> thank you for being a friend. Cue theme song. <laughs> Thanks so much to comedian and fellow Texan, Cristela Alonzo, for talking about her new book, Music to My Years. It's out right now, and you can also catch Cristela's comedy special. It's called Lower Classy. It's on Netflix. All right, that is all for today. Back in your feeds on Friday, per usual. Till then, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Talk soon.